that the primacy of the dollar as the world's currency has been a very important part of making the system work and keeping the United States in a leadership position. And I don't see how you can have the primacy of the dollar and, and still have so much debt. You are listening to CEO Perspectives, a podcast by the Conference Board. Welcome to this episode of CEO's Perspectives, a signature series by the Conference Board. CEO Perspectives are conversations that take an objective, nonpartisan look at a range of subjects that matter most to business leaders. I'm Steve Odlin from the Conference Board and the host of this series. And in today's conversation, we're going to discuss the burgeoning U.S. sovereign debt. Joining me today is an expert on the subject, Dr. Joe Kasputis, the CEO of Economic Ventures, which creates and invests in early startups and early stage information companies. Previously, he founded Global Insight, Decision Economics, was CEO of Premark, Chairman of Thompson Financial, and the Assistant Secretary of the U.S. Department of Commerce. Prior to that, he served as an officer in the U.S. Navy. Joe, it is a privilege to have you join us today. Oh, thank you very much, Steve. I'm very glad to be here and uh, discuss the fiscal situation of the United States government, which is quite dire, I think. Yeah, Joe, I think I think you're right. And I, you know, everyone hears these stories about, okay, now we're at 34 trillion in debt. You know, but we heard it when we were 10, and then we heard it when we were 20, and now we're 34, but nothing, you know, it 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 trains are still running, you know, planes are still going. So what's the big deal? Steve, I think the U.S. federal government's fiscal situation is really quite dire. If you uh, realize what's happening, you see it very clearly in the interest that the government is now paying on this $34 million of debt we've accumulated, which is growing at an exponential rate and is starting to crowd out uh, other programs. A startling fact is that the net interest paid by the government this year on $34 trillion worth of debt is larger than the cost of the Defense Department, almost the same amount as Medicare. This year, it's estimated to be $870 billion in interest. And if we keep the programs we have in place, the entitlement programs, the tax rates, the spending programs in in the next 10 years, 10 years from today in 2034, the interest bill is projected to be $1.6 trillion per year. That's a dire situation. Yeah, and it, and it may be conservative, Joe, because, you know, they're, the current debt, it, you know, is made up of you know, new debt at current interest rates, but it's also old debt at, you know, close to zero interest rates. And as that rolls off, that increases. But at some point, you know, there's got to be a downgrade to the debt and therefore the borrowing costs should increase. And, and they're not figuring that kind of, you know, that kind of change into the future projections. Well, the Congressional Budget Office, which I think is a very fine government organization, does really good work under leadership of Phil Schwagel. They, about a week ago, just came out with their updated projections. They added, they always do a 10-year projection each year. And so they added to 2034 uh, this year. 
And and that 10-year projection, just to emphasize your point, uh, includes the assumption that the tax cuts of 2017 will not be extended past 2025. You may recall that in order to get the uh, tax cuts through the Senate using the reconciliation method, this is a little technical, but there's a way in which you can get a budget bill approved through the Senate with just 51 votes if you can show that the 10-year cost uh, would not be not be negative, so you can you can spend a lot of money in the first few years and and run a deficit. But as long as you project that you're going to correct that deficit, uh, so that that it averages out to be positive over the ten year period, uh, it can get through with fifty votes. So uh, what they did is they they cut the taxes, but uh, they they said, well, it's only a temporary cut till 2025, so it expires. So in the Congressional Budget Office projections, they're assuming more revenues are coming in because, because of that tax, that tax cut uh, will go away, which it's unlikely that it will. Who knows is what the Congress will do. But the one thing you can be sure of is the CBO projections are usually low because they are uh, constrained by law to only assume that existing policies will continue. Uh, and something new always comes up. There's a crisis, a war, uh, a huge storm like Katrina, uh, a pandemic that causes us to spend more money than we anticipated. So yes, you're right, Steve. It is, it is conservative. So, but one way, one way economists like to track the debt or express the debt is in, in terms of percent of GDP. Um, you know, just explain that to us and, and then explain where it is today and where it's projected to go. And why is that important? Well, it's a useful standard to get an idea of the capacity of the country relative to the debt that it's carrying. Steve, it's very much like the, uh, the rule of thumb of how much of your income should you devote to housing and that traditionally has been 30 to 35 percent of income should be devoted to housing, uh, but not any more than that. The, the same is true of governments. How much of, uh, of, of the GDP should debt be? We, we typically have thought 60 to 70 percent was about as far as you should push it. Uh, in fact, the European Union had, had a rule when they were forming the union. They wouldn't take any country into the union that had a, a, a debt-to-GDP ratio in excess of 60%. Now, if you go back and look at the United States history, right after World War II, our, our debt-to-GDP ratio was 106%. Well, of course, we, we just had to spend all out for the war effort to mobilize. But the, the next thing that happened is we had peace. All the, uh, all the soldiers and sailors came back to the United States, married their sweethearts. We had lots of household formations. We educated them with the GI Bill. And we had a booming economy. And we rapidly paid most of that down. So that for, for a long time, as recently as 2000, 
the country had a debt-to-GDP ratio of 30%. In the year 2000, do you realize we were running a budget surplus and the Treasury was buying back Treasury bills? Larry Summers, when he was Secretary of the Treasury, announced the buyback program. We often hear companies buying their stock back. The government was buying its debt back and reducing its debt. 30% was the GDP ratio. What happened? Well, we went into the, uh, the 2000 period, and then we had the financial crisis of 2008. We, we did a lot of deficit spending. Uh, I think it was handled fairly well to prevent a, a meltdown, but we spent probably more than we had to, but they were, they were not taking any chances with the, with the financial system. The Fed had to make some markets even. And then we had it in 2020, the pandemic, and there was another big spike in spending. Uh, so, so we had those two events that we took on a lot of debt for. The pandemic, we calculate, cost us about $6.3 trillion between the subsidies that were provided, the, the efforts to shore up the healthcare system, and the lost revenue to the Treasury Department when fewer individuals and corporations were, were working and making money. So uh, those are two events that added a lot of debt. But in between that, we got into a, a habit of spending more than we were taking in. It was too easy to take on debt because since 2008, interest rates were very, very low. You know, the T-bill, there was a time when the T-bill rate was six-tenths of a percent. So I, I think there, there was no break on borrowing money because it looked like it was virtually free. Uh, and we, we piled up a lot of debt. And as you pointed out, interest rates now have been between four to five and a half percent. Our debt-to-GDP ratio is projected to equal what it was at the end of World War II in 2028. That's just four years from now. We're projected to go to 106% of GDP uh, again, uh, with not nearly the kind of crisis we had in World War, World War II. And we do face the risk that people won't want to buy our debt or will only buy it at much higher than, than the average market interest rates. And that could be a real problem because we have to refund the debt. You know, most of the debt has been financed by the Treasury Department uh, with 10-year T-bills. I can't quite understand why they didn't use some 30-year, more 30-year uh, bonds in uh, the period when uh, we had the pandemic. We recommended that it, actually they do that. Or even a, or even a hundred year bonds because you know only the government can do it. So your point, but fix it out and 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 but they didn't, and so you're constantly now replacing. Well, that's exactly what's happening now. They got yeah. they about one tenth of the debt has to be refunded each year. That's three point four trillion dollars that are going into the market, right? Just to refund the debt. But we also this year are projected to have a deficit of one point six trillion dollars. So we're oh. going to have to get that money too well so this is the issue I and mean, we used to have a, a budget total budget spending of around four trillion we took three trillion in, in taxes it was a trillion dollars a year 
in in deficit. Uh, it wasn't great, but it was kind of manageable. Or people sold us that it was manageable because the economy was growing and you know yada yada. But now, you know, it's nearly two trillion dollars in debt, and that's after this big step up that you've talked about with the pandemic of six trillion. Hence, we're over thirty four trillion and about a hundred percent of GDP. So it's unsustainable from you know these rates, these levels that we used to have. But nobody seems to care. The, the latest uh, CBO projection just underscores what you said, because they're projecting, and, and as you point out, their projection is probably conservative, that the average deficit for the next 10 years will be $2 trillion per year, which means in the next 10 years, we'll take on another $20 trillion of debt and bring the total up to $54 trillion. And the, the interest rates are much higher. So the interest is going to get to be a higher and higher number. And when when you're in a debt situation, how do you pay that interest? Well, the only way you can pay it is to sell even more treasury bills and bonds, right? So so the, the, the interest adds to the debt. You pay interest on the interest then. So what happens? Where does this end, Joe? Because it's not linear, right? I mean, at some point, it's going to stop. People will say, enough. We're not buying this. It's too risky. Even if they haven't had a downgrade, it's too risky. There's too much. And this thing, it, it can crater. Now, does that create a dollar crisis? Do you revalue the currency? Do you, you know, what what happens? What does it look like? Well, I think, I think the first thing that would happen is you'd see interest rates get very, very high. It'd be very hard for the Treasury to, to clear it's 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 auctions to sell all the debt it wants to sell, and that it be, be be paying very high prices. But the point is going to come. Uh, we we sell about a third of our debt to foreigners, and the the biggest holders are uh, Japan, the UK, China, uh, and and uh, they they just they've slowed down their purchases actually already. And I think the other thing that, that happens is the United States is threatened uh, to lose its stature as the global currency. I mean, there, there are moves afoot, certainly by, by, by China and, and also uh, uh, the Arab world to, to have their own currencies. The BRICS want to have their own currencies. That's uh, Brazil, China, India, South Africa. Uh, and about seven or eight other countries, they want to form their own currency unions. They don't. the The dominance of the dollar could could easily go away, and and we'd be in a debt crisis. Our our money would be devalued. Our our costs would soar because the cost of our imports, which we are very dependent upon, would 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 go up. It would be extremely inflationary. Uh, and we would run around and try to fix things in, in a very hasty way. Uh, some of the things that are going to need fixing is Social Security. It's, uh, it's Medicare and, and, and Medicaid, too. And, and I think we need tax reform. We, we take in uh, last year, we took in about, about 16 percent of GDP in revenues. And we spent about twenty-three uh, percent in 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 costs. So 
that's a pretty big gap between revenues and costs that has to be financed. That's why we have a, 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 a six uh, trillion dollar deficit. We're talking to Dr. Joe Casputis about the U.S. debt. We're going to take a short break and be right back. What does the future of work mean for your employees? How will your company navigate ESG? Will there be a global recession? At the conference board, our experts translate the latest research and economic analysis into insights and real-time problem solving for your organization. Membership at the conference board provides your team with an assortment of knowledge from economics, marketing and communications, ESG, public policy, and human capital. As a member, you'll have access to our center experts, member-exclusive events, data and benchmarking tools, and peer sharing that will help you understand the present and shape the future. Consider becoming a conference board member today by visiting www.conference-board.org. Welcome back to CEO Perspectives. I'm your host, Steve Odlin from the conference board, and I'm joined today by Dr. Joe Casputis, the CEO of Economic Ventures and a CED trustee. Okay, so Joe, I just want to go back to this point that you made that we we have a lot of foreigners, uh, foreign countries buying our debt, right? I mean, it it's and China has has been one of the top countries that has owned our debt. I mean, just just think about the geopolitical situation right now. You know, they are not necessarily completely friendly with us. They're they're adversarial. They're talking about making a, a kinetic move on 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 Taiwan. So this is a this is a difficult situation. What happens when China has this huge portion of our debt and calls the debt and, and says, okay, well, you know, we're done, pay it back. I mean, that could bring us to our knees. And 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 then you know you overlay that with, you know, all of a sudden you run out of space in the discretionary budget because you're paying you're paying interest on the debt. You must pay interest on the debt or you don't get any more debt. So it's just it's just this constant downward spiral and you then have to cut the military you cut you know you cut every all your spending at what point then does the country just collapse well there probably is a point but i don't think we would let that we would let it get there uh we would be close to collapse and then frantically trying to shore up the problem which would be very expensive and disruptive i will say this that the chinese are have already reduced their holdings of T-bills. They they still have some trillions of it, uh, a couple of trillion of it, but they're they're reducing their holdings. Yeah. Uh, I don't see how the United States can expect to be a superpower when it's broke. Well, this is the, this is the point. I mean, the, the globe, I, I think, you know, a lot of a lot of people in the United States don't have passports, you know, roughly what, 40, 50 percent. They they don't have this global view. But when you're sitting outside the United States, as you do frequently and I do frequently, and, and you're talking to people and they're looking back in, the, the global economy r- relies on the United States. The global peace relies on the United States. The global trade relies on the United States. And this allows you know, the, the globe's nearly nearly 8 billion people to, you know, to rise up out of poverty. It creates democracy and peace. It allows, you know, constant trade. There's so much interaction here that people just don't understand. And so when people say, well, I don't want taxes raised or I don't, you know, you can't cut my social security or you can't touch this. 
it, it, you've got global consequences here that they're not taking into account. You're exactly right, Steve. The, the primacy of the dollar in as the world's currency has been a very important part of making the system work and keeping the United States in a leadership position. And I don't see how you can have the primacy of the dollar and, and still have so much debt. You know, not you, there's a point where you can't even sell it. And, and we're going to come to that point. We're, we're definitely going to come to that point. All the projections say that. But by, by 2034, we're expected that the debt-to-GDP ratio will be 116%. Now, Greece got in, into trouble when it went over 90%. You may remember that. Uh, so did several other countries. Uh, you know, now, we're not Greece. We're a lot stronger and, and more resilient, and there's more value in our economy and more innovation and all. But uh, if, you, if you look at a 30-year projection, again, it's probably a conservative projection. The debt-to-GDP debt ratio by... 2054 is projected to be somewhere between 170 to 180 percent. That that is just outside the range of feasibility. It's not going to happen. The market's not going to let it happen. So the question is, why don't we fix it? We all know that this is coming. Everybody sees these projections. Nobody questions the validity of them, really. They're done on a very sound and conservative basis. The situation's actually going to be a lot worse than, than is projected. And, and yet, we haven't touched the things that need to be touched. And we, know what to, and we know what to do. And Joe, you and I have been up on the Hill. We've been into the administration, multiple administrations. We've talked to these people. And you're right. Every person, regardless of whether they're wearing a blue shirt or a red shirt, every person understands these numbers. This is not, this is not an opaque thing. They know. But every time they tell us, well, we can't do this politically. At what point, Joe, do, you know, do, do the American people, do business leaders, Need to need to play the adults in the room here and say, okay, guys, it's it's time. We've got to take some political decisions. What point was that? Probably sometime in the last couple of years. That's where the point was. We we've been trying to get that done for a long time, Steve. And as you say, everybody will privately agree with us, but but nobody wants to step out and take the political risk. Look at Macron in France. He wanted to add two years, two more working years before the French could retire. And the country was tied up in general strikes and people were rioting in the streets over over two more working years. I think they, they wanted to make the retirement 63 or 64 or something like that. And uh, it's the same thing here. Nobody wants to give up on any benefits. These third rails that you can't touch like Social Security and, and Medicare and so forth, have to be overhauled. We can't continue. There's, there's another point I'd like to, like to make is there's, there's two kinds of debt. There's the debt held by the public, and then there's the debt that the government holds uh, on an interagency basis. So when you pay into Social Security or you pay your uh, Medicare fees, it, it goes into a trust fund, okay? 
Well, the, the, the trust funds don't get to keep the cash. What they do is they, they exchange it for T-bills. So the trust funds are holding a bunch of T-bills. Well, these programs, the trust funds, are scheduled to run out uh, the, uh, the, the hospital trust fund, Part A, is scheduled to run out in 2031. It looks like Social Security is going to run out because it's, it's, it's paying out more than it's taking in. So it reduces the, the trust funds. Uh, it looks like it's going to run out sometime in 2032, maybe 2033. If we don't do anything to fix it, there's an automatic 23% cut in benefits that would occur in 2033. Do you think the Congress is ever going to let uh, that actually happen and have all the retirees take a 23% cut in benefits? My, my fear is that they'll turn around and start funding it with general revenues. I mean, they're assuming that somehow they're going to keep it solvent. So they'll, they'll again, try to sell more debt. What we call debt held not by the public, but intergovernment debt, could very easily turn out to be a call on the Treasury again. Okay, so the, so we can't do this through debt. We're, we're really at our limits. You've, you've made your case um, brilliantly. That, uh, that So then you've got the other, the other side of the argument, which is that just raise taxes. But then, Joe, when you look at what, whatever tax rate we've ever had in history, regardless of the tax rate, we've never taken in more than, what, 17 to 19% of total GDP. That's true. That's right. And we're spending... It looks like we're going to be spending uh, this year uh, about 23% of GDP. That's the spending side. So you still got a big gap. You can't fix it all through taxes. I believe, Steve, we need tax reform. We need to close loopholes. We need to do a better job. And, and, the, and the Congress was kind of on to this, with, uh, uh, but they kind of used the sledgehammer. We need to do a better job of closing the tax gap, better enforcement, and collecting all the taxes we should. Uh, and and I, I believe we don't need to raise rates, but we need reform and we need better enforcement. And right. we could we could add we could add a point or two to uh, what what uh, last year was just sixteen point five percent of GDP collected in taxes. I I think it would be more reasonable to get it up to about seventeen and a half, maybe even eighteen. And some say that you could actually get up to 19 theoretically, but but so this is what people don't understand. You raise the rates. When you raise the rates, you take more money out of the private sector that is not there for investments, and you, you move it over to the public sector. It's very inefficient, and you don't get the multiplier effect. So essentially, then you sh you know the 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 GDP doesn't grow as much, and so the percentage of GDP is lower. I mean, it's it's just it's just math at the end of the day, and so. And so what happens is you can't get to that level of, um, you know, 23 to 24 percent without, you know, with tax rates. You have to do what you said in tax reform. But then you have to come back to what are the causes of this. And it comes back to Social Security, which is a very fixable problem. You raise the, the uh, age limit a couple of years and you do a little means testing. And that one fixes really easy. It's Medicare that is the big kahuna. Yes. Well, Medicare is uh, not as big as Social Security in terms of annual government spending, but it, it uh, uh, collectively, if, if you take Medicare and Medicaid, 
and the, the child health insurance program and a few other insurance, a few other programs like that, you are looking at a big number. We spent about a, a, a trillion and a half on those uh, on those on those items. So it was slightly more than uh, Social Security in 2023. So uh, I, I think Medicare needs a very fundamental fix. It's still too much based on fee for service. It needs to have a more competitive marketplace with with uh, better exchanges and freedom for the consumer to make a choice of to, just how much Medicare they want to buy. If you're a young person, you 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 you're healthy, you can just have catastrophic insurance. If you're older, uh, you may you may want more. Uh, but to some degree, we have to start paying more for for more of these benefits. We have to overhaul it. We've got to also do all we can to drive the cost down. Now, the, along with that, we've had marvelous increases in technology. And, uh, you know, we can deliver more health care and more effective health care. But we have this aging population who is living longer. And, and, we, and there's more of them as a percentage of the population. So it's kind of baked in the cake that it's going to be a struggle for us because you have more people living longer and you have uh, more technology you can apply to, to, to lengthen life. So it, it is a struggle, but it has to be overhauled. There are ways to do it. Yeah, and, and the inflation rates on these things, when I say it's a big kahuna, it, it's the yeah. inflation rates on these things that kill future budgets. So, we're, Joe, we're, this, is, this is a crisis. We can see the crisis. We've got the freight train rolling down the track. When, you know, when we get to the crisis, you know, we're going to run right into it, right through it, and, and crash the economy. We still have time on the track to slow this thing down, to make these changes you're talking about. And, you know, a lot of people say, well, we can't do anything without a crisis, and the crisis isn't going to come for another decade or so, so therefore, we'd like, we got to just wait. And and that's just unfair to the generations that uh, Gen Z, millennials, who are going to have to take on these these massive changes and, and changes to society that will affect their lives. So this is where CEOs and business leaders and everyone should be standing up right now and, and determining to fix this. We have to speak out. We have to demand that it get fixed. Uh, we 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 at the at the CED, which is part of the Commerce Board organization, we've been calling for uh, a new bipartisan congressional commission with a mandate to come up with a plan that'll reduce the deficit uh, and 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 uh, take the debt to GDP ratio to seventy percent. Now. You can't get there tomorrow. It would take about 20 years uh, of, of careful, reasoned uh, cuts, re reducing the, the cost of living increases and things of that sort, uh, fixes the Social Security, phase them in gradually. You could phase it in gradually. It wouldn't be that painful. It's all doable if we, st if we start now. It was more doable if we started five years ago. But it's still doable if we start now. We know how to do this. We have a plan. We have a plan for Social Security, for, for, for Medicare, and it could be applied to, to Medicaid as well. Uh, and you know what I'd like to see is a little more spending on defense. You know, historically, we've been spending 
four to four and a half percent on defense. And, and now with interest rates coming up to be such a big portion of, of, of the, uh, of the federal budget, I mean, we're looking at over one and a half trillion dollars in 10 years. It's, it's squeezing defense down to, to two and a half percent. Does this sound like the kind of world where we should be spending two and a half percent on defense? So, you know, we got to get our priorities right, too. Well, and every time we cut it, you know, the world gets more dangerous because they sense weakness and and lack of stability. Yeah. And so it, it, yeah. we can't put our heads in the sand because all it will do is destabilize the whole world and affect the, those seven billion people out there. Joe, I think, um, you know, I think you've made a very worrying case that the, uh, you know, the time for the solution is now and people need to stand up. There are some very practical things we need to do and and it is solvable, but we have to do it now. And we really appreciate your leadership in all of this. And thanks for being with us today. I appreciate the opportunity to uh, speak with you about this, uh, Steve. And I appreciate the good work that the conference board does on this problem. It's up to us to stand up to it. And, and we've got to do it now. And thanks to all of you for listening in to CEO Perspectives. Every week, I'll be joined by a prominent thought leader to provide insights on the issues of our time. We'll cover the leading topics in economics, public policy, geopolitics, and more. Please share CEO Perspectives with your friends and colleagues and everyone who cares about the state of the U.S. debt. I'm Steve Odlin, and this series has been brought to you by the Conference Board. You have been listening to CEO Perspectives, a podcast by the Conference Board.